Perhaps you can relate to the Mark Twain's experience. Uh, he said that when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. When I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he'd learned in seven years. And in the book of Proverbs, the first really nine chapters of this book, we, we find an emphasis of a father talking to a son. And I think most likely this son is in that time frame, probably around 14, maybe up to 21, but, but that time in which he's transitioning from being a boy to being a man. And one of the dangers in that time is for the child, for the son, certainly it would also apply to a daughter, although it's specifically addressed to a son in Proverbs, to begin to walk away from what the father had said and begin to, to question and doubt what this father had said and instead trust in himself or in others. And at the very beginning of, of the book of Proverbs, in this introduction to the collection of sayings that starts in chapter 10, we find a call specifically for the son to heed the instruction and teaching of his parents rather than his peers. And that's found in Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 8. If you would open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. As I mentioned, really the first nine chapters over and over again is laying out two ways, two paths, two options for this young man who's getting ready to, to enter into the rest of his life. There's the option of following in wisdom or the option of going in folly. There's the option of, of pursuing that which is good versus the option of pursuing that which only seems to be good or, or has the appearance of pleasure but is ultimately deceitful. Or walking down the path of life versus the path of death. And, and the person calling out for the, the way of wisdom occasionally is portrayed as wisdom itself, lady wisdom. But often it's portrayed as the father. It's the mother. Calling out to the son, follow in the path that I laid out for you. We find that, as I said, there in verse 8 of chapter 1, hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. My son here uh, could be a reference to kind of a spiritual relationship, uh, a kind of teacher to uh, a student. But I think because it highlights the mother here, the, the primary emphasis would be on the actual biological relationship. A father speaking to his son, my son, the, the intimacy of this relationship. And yet, it's not just the father who bears this responsibility. Both the father and the mother are engaged in this work of teaching and instructing. And the language that's used here uh, highlights, I think, a, a couple of things. When he says, uh, hear your father's instruction, we've seen this word a couple of times already. It shows up uh, in, in uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, as well as verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to receive instruction. In fact, we just looked at it a couple of weeks ago in verse 7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I don't expect you to remember this, but that, that word really has the idea of teaching through discipline. It, it's, a, it's a kind of correction that is designed to teach you the right way to live. And yet, by, by using the same language that Paul, Solomon's already used, he's, 
the father is essentially saying, it's not just my instruction, it's God's. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and yet the opposite is fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the instruction here is a godly instruction. It's the father who has been disciplining his son to teach him the right path. And then do not forsake your mother's teaching. Teaching here is is the the idea of the law. The, The teaching of this is the path in which you are to walk. And the call for the son there is to hear it, to listen to it, and to follow it is the idea. To hear and heed. And the opposite would be to forsake it, to ignore it, to treat it as if it does not matter. And so there's a call here for the son to continue to follow what his father and mother have taught him from the truth of God's word. And in verse 9, we see a reason for this. Why? Well, because they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. There is a beauty that comes from this. There is prestige and honor that comes from holding fast to this instruction. There is guidance and protection. And I think there is some significance to the fact that it's described as jewelry. Something adorning your head, something around your neck. And the significance is that it goes with you wherever you go and is seen by others. And in some ways, what Solomon's pointing to here is as if you actually hold fast to these things and, and treat them in this way, value them in this way, it will be a reminder to you and to others of the kind of path that you have chosen. And I say that in part because immediately there's a warning. There's other people who are going to come and try to entice you. And you see two large groups popping up over and over again in the beginning of Proverbs. One is is sinners, and the other is, uh, because it is a son, uh, an adulterous woman. Calls towards greed and calls towards sexual pleasures. And in a sense, if the son actually heeds and, and does not forsake his father's instruction and his mother's teaching, it will be a reminder to him and to others this is not going to, to be the path I go down. I'm not going to walk with sinners. I'm not going to walk after the adulterers. In some ways, it's almost as if it's a wedding ring that is a reminder, I have committed myself to something else. I have bound myself to what God has said in his word. And there is a beauty and prestige and honor that comes with that. And yet the father immediately points out, I know I'm not the only one going, that's giving you instruction. I'm not the only one that's calling you to walk in a certain path. And in verse 10, he he warns against the call from sinful peers. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Sinners, those who do not match up with God's law, they've missed the mark of what God has called them to do. And what, what might they do? They might try to entice his son to tempt him, to lure him away from the path that the father has called him to walk on. And the the son's response is to be, do not consent. Don't yield. Don't in any way submit yourself to that and begin to walk down that path. Don't even start 
on, on that pattern of life. Because they are going to potentially come and draw you away. And in verses 11 to 14, we find the, the enticement of the sinners. And the father, I think, does an interesting job here of, of pointing to both in the kinds of ways in which they might try to draw you, but also highlighting what probably lies behind it. Because it, probably it's a little bit more blunt than the sinners might actually be. Because the father is kind of pointing to, well, this is really what lies behind it. And yet, he does use some of the kind of language I think they will use. And so what is their call? How do sinners come and try to bring the, the, the son away from the father? And they do so by enticing them and saying, come with us. It's a call to join them. A call to follow them. And, and if I could maybe just warn us as a whole and remind us, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, even for yourself, there are many people who are saying this, come with us, follow me. We have a whole host of people in our day that are called influencers. And the whole point is, they are trying to push people in a certain way. And in fact, they're, they've become so dominant that there's some studies that, that talk to, to children and to teens, and you'll have even a majority of children or teens saying, I would like to be an influencer when I grow up. And what is an influencer? It's someone who has some type of platform. They're, they're on social media. They are, have Instagram pages that you can follow. TikTok videos they're putting out, YouTube videos, podcasts. And they're telling people what to think and how to live. And they're doing so often by saying, look at me and the lifestyle I have and follow after me. And so you have others who are calling away your children and your grandchildren. And they are asking them, to walk not in the path of God, but in the path of sin. Specifically, what is the call here in verse 11? Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. And so here, it's specifically, I think, a call to a young man, a call that would be appealing to young men. A call to exercise dominion and dominance. There's a measure of excitement we're going to lie in wait for blood. And we are going to demonstrate our power over others. And here, it's, there's no reason for it. It's innocent blood. There's not a cause. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. It's purely for the thrill of, of walking in this sin. And this is probably something that we miss in our day. Because often people wonder, why would someone do this act of violence? And sometimes the answer is, because they have a heart that loves to do evil. And there is a kind of thrill that, that actually can, people can experience through violent acts. There's not necessarily anything beyond that. It's simply the thrill itself of this violence. 
Verse 12, let us swallow them alive like shell, even whole, as those who go down to the pit. And I think there the, the point is basically, we're not even going to give them the chance to defend themselves. We're going to act so quickly that, that they will be swallowed down whole. There's no chance for our victims to respond. And if we do that, even beyond the pleasure that we get from the act itself, we can find wealth, verse 13. We will find all kinds of precious wealth, and we will fill our houses with the spoil. And in verse 14, throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. In a sense, they're saying you can benefit more by throwing your, your, your lot in with us, by following with us, than you ever would on your own. Your purse, your wealth will be greater with us than it would be if you go on your own. And so what is the, the, the enticement of the sinners? In one sense, I said, I think there is a kind of excitement, a kind of thrill-seeking that they're calling this person to. And there's also a, a call for wealth, especially easy wealth. If you read through Proverbs, there's a reminder, you can receive wealth, but it, does, it comes through hard work and discipline. But we generally like things to be simple and easy. And so there's the allurement that says you can get things the hard way or you can get things the easy way. And you can be rich without having to worry about all of those other requirements and restrictions that the way of wisdom puts on you. You will have all kinds of precious wealth. But then as well, there is an offer of belonging. You will be with us. You'll be one of us. We are in this together. And that is an alluring call. And what what does this call look like in our day? Well, I I think you still would see in in some ways uh, a similar kind of call. That, That why do People join gangs. Why do young men especially join gangs? And the answer is basically this. Hey, there's excitement in being involved in this gang. And we're in this together. And there's a pathway for you to get money and cars and women. So throw your lot in with us. And yet I think there are probably other ways in which this kind of call manifests itself in our day. If I can say it this way, in Scripture, murder is not just the act of murder. What does Jesus say murder ultimately begins with? Hating your brother without a cause. And saying to your brother, you fool. And may not, certainly isn't the same level, let me be clear. Actual violence is not the same as what I'm going to be describing here. But there is a a, a movement, an appeal to Kill people in your heart online. There's very much a a call and a mob to to seek out others, harass others, bully others. And we see this in our schools. We see this among young people. To mock others, to take advantage of others, to throw yourself in with the crowd that is cool and to belittle and ostracize others. And so there's this call 
for enjoyment at the expense of others. And as well, there's a call for easy success in money. And again, there's probably other ways this to manifest itself. But increasingly, one of the ways I think it manifests itself among young people is through academic cheating. It's increasingly prevalent. Because it's easier and easier to, to do the work for your school without you doing the work. Because you can find someone else to do it for you. You can actually go to websites now that will write papers for you. You just tell them the information, what needs to be there. They'll write it out for you in such a way that's really hard sometimes to figure out who did it. And so increasingly, there's a call to say, this is a faster way for success. This is an easier way for success. You don't have to do the hard thing. And so there is this danger that the father warns about. And in verse 15, he comes back around and says, don't buy into this because of what will ultimately be the end of these people. Verse 15, he says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. And again, I think he's he's highlighting the relationship he has. Yes, these are people who are calling out to you, but I'm your father. These These are sinners. These are peers. These are people who do not have the relationship that I have with you and the responsibility and obligation that you in turn have to me because I am your father and you're my son. And so don't walk with them. And that language is in a sense the opposite of their call in verse 11. What did they begin by saying? Come with us. What does the father say? Don't go with them. Don't heed their call. And specifically, he says, walk in the way with them or keep your feet from their path. And this is something I think we, we see over and over again in Proverbs. As I said, there's, there's essentially two ways that are laid out. And those ways both include the behavior and the result. And those are intricately tied together. If you begin down this path, if you are walking down this path, you will reach its end. Their way is not just the journey, it is the destination. And so don't walk with them in their way. Keep your feet from it. Don't even take a step on it. Don't even begin to touch it. Why? Because their path leads to destruction. Verse 16. For their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed blood. Now, at first, we'd look at that verse, and I think we'd say, he's pointing out, they just love to do evil and to kill. And, and, and there's probably some truth there, but I, I think actually the father in some ways is kind of saying they think they're running to do evil to others, but they're actually running to ultimately bring calamity on themselves. They think that they are hastening to shed others' blood, but ultimately they are hastening to shed their own blood. Because That's what he's going to begin saying in verses 17 and 18. That there is a warning here. That the evil and the blood that they are actually going after is not others, but it's ultimately themselves. And in verse 17, he points out, they don't even see it. They're so foolish, they can't even see it. Verse 17, indeed, it is useless to spread the baited net in the sight of any bird. And and, and Solomon 
the father here is basically saying, God has made birds so that they can sense danger. And so you can't just spread out the net right in front of the bird and expect them to fly right into it. God's made them smart enough to see this danger. And yet, verse 18, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They don't realize, in a sense, they're laying out the trap for themselves. And they ambush their own lives. And what's interesting is the language he uses there is essentially the language that he, they used in verse 11. What was the call in verse 11? Let us lie in wait for blood. What are they actually doing in verse 18? Lying in wait for their own blood. What's the call in verse 11? Let us ambush the innocent without cause. What are they actually doing in verse 18? They are ambushing their own lives. That the evil that they are pursuing will ultimately destroy themselves. And there is a kind of divine retribution that I think is summarized in verse 19. So are the ways of everyone who gains by violence. It takes away the life of its possessors. That if you are seeking possessions, if you are sinfully seeking possessions, it will possess you. It will destroy you. That those who live by the sword will die by the sword, as Jesus says. And so the father here gives this solemn warning to his son not to walk in this path. And what should we think about this? I think certainly we should consider, are we potentially being led astray by others? Are we falling away from the allurement of things that are exciting, the allurement of easy gain, the allurement of sinful belonging and companionship? And if so, we need to recognize what's the end of that path. It's a path of destruction. But I hope that most of us aren't walking down that path. But most of us have younger people in our lives, children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews, members of this church that we don't want to see go down this kind of path. And so what should we be doing? Well, I think in some ways what the Father does here is a good model for us as we think about how do we teach young people. And, and he, he begins with an if in verse 10, if this happens. And then he gives a then. Then this is what you should do. And so he, and then he ends in a sense with a because. So if this happens. And what he's doing is he's not waiting for it to happen. He's not waiting for the person to encounter it. He's preparing his son before it comes. He's looking ahead and saying, what kinds of temptations will my son face? And how can I, in a sense, give an ounce of prevention rather than a pound of cure? How can I prepare him? How can I prepare my daughter for the situations that they are going to be in? So I'm going to bring up, this might happen. If this happens, then respond in this way. This is what you should do. This is how you should act when you face this kind of situation. Why? Because of these reasons. And, and that's, I think, an important part of parenting. There, there are going to be times in which the because is because I said so. But often the because needs to be like what the father does here. 
pointing out the result of those things in light of the biblical truth. Grounding what we're calling them to do in God's wisdom. So my son, if you face this kind of situation, respond in this way because of what God has said here. My daughter, if this comes up, you need to do this because of what God has taught us in his word. Secondly, that in a sense, the father here is saying, choose me over your peers. Listen to my instruction and call rather than theirs. And I think he does so because there is an expectation that this is how we are meant to live. That, especially in the book of Proverbs, generally there's a sense that when you are young, you do not know what you should know. And so you need someone who is older and wiser to help you in that path. And I think one of the grave dangers in our day is we tend to think, if you are older, you are out of touch and therefore know nothing. And so we need to talk to people who are with it. We need to talk to people who are in the know. And that's inevitably younger people. And I don't think that just happened in the most recent generation. I think that probably happened a few generations back. Which means most of us in this room have a little bit of a tendency to look down on the wisdom of those above us and to value our own wisdom rather than theirs. And as we are then teaching our children and our grandchildren, we are subtly undermining our own authority. And so we need to be very careful about how we deal with those who are in authority over us and how we deal with those who are above us. And maybe just simply, how do you talk about your parents? How do you treat your parents and their wisdom and their counsel? Because if you want your children to be able to, to hear you say, listen to your father's instruction, heed your mother's teaching, then what are you doing with your own parents? Now again, I'm not saying they have authority over your life once you're no longer in the role of a child. But there are ways to honor them, which we're called to do. There are ways to point to them and to, to highlight their wisdom rather than undermine it. Finally, if I could encourage us in this way, that this is a call for us to work, to woo and win our child's heart because others are working to get it too. Others are coming along and talking to your children and to your grandchildren and they're saying, come with us. And so are you saying that as well? Are you saying, no, come with me. Walk with me in God. Are you giving them instruction? Are you teaching them through the way that you discipline and correct them? Are you giving them teaching? Are you pointing them to the truths of God's word? Are you doing this regularly because others are calling them regularly? Others are constantly giving them their teaching and their instruction. And so we need to be constantly doing the opposite. 
And if I could maybe just encourage us in this way, that the Father doesn't necessarily come along and say, hey, I'm your buddy, come on. He says, no, I'm your Father. And there maybe is a tendency in our day to, to think, how will I keep my relationship with my children is by being their friend. And I think probably what's more important is being their father or their mother. And that is much more than a friend. That, that being a good father and a mother actually demonstrates a kind of care and compassion for them that really their friends can't ever do. And so you, you have, in theory, an advantage. Because they're in your home and you have hopefully demonstrated for years that you have their best interests truly at heart. And you want to continue to make that clear. You want to continue to emphasize, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I'm wanting the best for you. And so that's why I'm saying, don't listen. Don't go down this path. Heed my instruction. Follow my teaching. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to be diligent, Lord, to, to guard our own hearts against the, the call of sinners to throw in our lot with them. Lord, help us to be diligent to be guarding the hearts of those that, that you have given to us in our families, in our church. Those who are in a, a vulnerable position. Lord, that we would be seeking to, to emphasize your truth, to call them to your path, that we would faithfully be walking in it. That we would have credibility as we call out to others, God's path is the right path because we are walking in it. Lord, help us not to take this lightly. Lord, I pray that you would work through our imperfect efforts, knowing that, that we will fail at times in this. And so, Lord, our, our ultimate confidence isn't in us. Ultimate confidence is in you and your word. We pray that, that you would, would be gracious to us, to the young people in our church, to keep them from sin, to keep them in your path of wisdom. Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.